0: morning i hope that you had a great week i'm so excited to share this morning i'm so excited to spend time in the presence of god with you i hope you know this i love you guys and i love worshiping here and one of my favorite moments in in quite a while was just a minute ago was just listening to every voice in this room proclaim the truth that when you see me you see me through the eyes of a father, through the pride of a father. What a beautiful declaration of who we are. What a beautiful thing that can anchor us when nothing else will. Amen? Well, this morning we are continuing our Fire and Wind series, walking through the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If you have missed some of this series, I would highly recommend going back to the podcast. You can find it on our website, or on Apple Podcasts, shameless plug right there, um, but you can find that and, and check out what you have missed in this series. We are picking up today, just a few verses after where LJ left off last week. If you were here, then you know, LJ preached about the story of the paralyzed man who was begging, he was sitting at the gates of the temple, begging for money. And Peter and John came up to him. He asked them for money, and Peter and John said, we don't have money, but what we do have, we'll give you. And in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. The man was healed right there. He starts causing a ruckus, shouting and proclaiming the goodness of Jesus and worshiping. And LJ so beautifully proclaimed that Jesus is in the mess of life. That was such an important reminder that in the messy places, the messy people, the things that we don't enjoy, the places we don't want to be, that's where Jesus often is, and that's where the gospel invites us. So we're picking up just a few verses after that in the repercussions of that story. So this is what happens in the aftermath of that healing. It's Acts chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse 1. It says this. And This is a long text. We're going to read 22 verses, so just buckle up. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, By what power or what name did you do this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign, and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes listen to you I lost my place to listen to you or to him you be the judges as for us we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard after further threats they let them go they couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old every time we open God's word we're acknowledging and remembering that this is God's revelation to us so it is right for us to go to him and ask him to speak to us. Spirit, we acknowledge your presence with us, in us, we acknowledge your presence in one another, as we gather with the community of believers. We ask that you would speak, that your word would be remembered this morning, and that Jesus' name would be praised, and nothing else. Amen. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Just, I'm going to count to three, everybody s- shout it out. don't have to shout just say it out loud all right whatever you wanted to be when you when you were a kid what you wanted to be when you grew up one two three i didn't get any of that i appreciate you participating though all of the introverts hate me right now um that's okay when i was a kid i wanted to be a cowboy more than anything twist ending i still want to be a cowboy Um, I'm really hoping, I'm coming up on 30, I'm really hoping that the year 30 holds a six-gun and a horse and I get to ride off into the sunset at some point. That's just really what I'm hoping for. I want to be a cowboy. My dad pastors a cowboy church. I mean, I feel like I've got an end there. I feel like I kind of deserve to be a cowboy at some point in my life. Maybe, we'll see. Um, When I was a kid, part of the reason I was obsessed with cowboys was because of the movies that I watched when I was little. In my family... We grew up, I watched the TV shows of people probably 30 years older than me, because that's what my parents watched. We had a color TV, but 90% of what we watched was in black and white. It was like Andy Griffith. Like we didn't watch Power Rangers. We didn't watch Pokemon, because those were worldly. Uh, so we, we watched Andy Griffith. We watched Hopalong Cassidy. Does anyone here even know what Hopalong Cassidy is? Okay, a couple people. All right. Gene Autry, Roy Rogers. That's the kind of stuff we watched when I was a kid, and I loved that. Because here's the plot of those, those shows and those movies. There's a good guy in a white hat, and there's some innocent people in a town or in a stagecoach or in a train, and there are some evil, despicable bad guys with black hats on. And they come in, and they are just terrorizing. They're robbing it. They're, like, pushing women over and smacking kids and stuff. And Roy Rogers comes in with his six-gun, and he's like, I'm not going to take any of that. And he runs them out of town. And there are these bad guys that are just bad and there are heroes that are just good, right? I, I think this is interesting. I never wanted to be one of the townspeople. I never wanted to be the guy in the stagecoach. I always wanted to be the guy on the white horse with the white hat and the fast draw. I always wanted to be the hero. There's something in us that's attracted to these easy, simple, black and white stories where there's good guys and there's bad guys. My guess is. This might not be true for all of us, but for most of us, what we wanted to be when we grew up might have been something like a police officer or a doctor or a firefighter or a ballerina, something that seemed beautiful and good, something that seemed to have a hero, where you were fighting against the villains, where you were standing for something that stopped what was wrong. As I got older, the stories that were compelling were stories like Lord of the Rings. Like I said, we grew up in a Christian home. Very Lord of the Rings, not Harry Potter. That was my family. That might not be your family. Harry Potter's fine now, whatever. Um, But there was something about, like, Aragorn with his sword. Like, he would kill an orc. And you didn't have to feel bad that an orc died, right? Like, when he decapitated an orc, you were like, do it again! Like, (laughs) because they were evil. They were bad guys. In Star Wars, you watch Qui-Gon Jinn cutting down droids. You watch Darth Maul get, you know, cut in half and thrown down a well, basically. You don't feel bad about it because there's something objectively evil and there's something objectively good. And yeah, as we got older, the bad guys had, or the good guys had their issues. They were more complex, but there was this evil thing that you could fight against. There were heroes and there were villains, and there was a clear line of who was who. And there were innocent victims that had done nothing wrong that deserved to be defended. Now, then you grow up. And as you get older, you realize that life is a lot more grave than that. That all the heroes we thought were heroes are not as good as we thought they were. And the villains we thought were villains are not as bad as we thought they were. And the innocent victims aren't as innocent as we thought they were. And it becomes a lot harder to figure out which side we're on. You know, it's interesting. We can feel like a villain in one place and a hero in another. You can feel like a hero at work and a villain at home. You can feel like, feel like a villain every time you come into church, but a hero when you're with your friends. You can feel like a hero in your house with your family and a villain when you go into school. It's almost like the the line of hero and villain is not objectively marked in the sand, but it's kind of right down the middle of all of us. It's a lot harder to define. Now, here's what's going on in this story. This moment that we just read about is the first opposition to the early church. It's the first time in the history of the people of God as a community that they have had people fighting against what God has called them to do. Now, Jesus was crucified, and Jesus told them they would be persecuted. Persecution is the term that we apply to this opposition that continually comes to the work of the people of God and the work of the Holy Spirit through the people of God in the world. That's that's the term, and it becomes a theme in the life of Christians. It becomes a theme in the book of Acts. It becomes a theme in church history. It's actually a theme in our world today, even. Part of the life of a follower of Jesus is a life that creates tension. And this is the first time that it happens. This is the first time we see that. You've got these Sadducees and you've got the teachers of the law. And these guys are standing against, they are upset by what Peter and John are doing. Now to understand what's going on here, we need to understand who these characters are. The Sadducees, a really good way to think of them, a helpful way to think of them, is the Sadducees were kind of like the political left. And don't freak out, this isn't politics, just, just an analogy. The political left of the day, the Sadducees, rejected the idea of resurrection. They did not believe in angels or demons or really a spiritual dimension to reality. They believed in the law of the Old Testament, but they believed really the highest thing God gave us was free will. So we make our lives, we make our decisions, we follow the rules to the best of our ability, and we do what we can to make our lives. Right and wrong is really what we make it, as long as we're more or less in the boundaries. Then there was another group of people. Now these are not explicitly mentioned in the story, but when it says teachers of the law and elders, the Pharisees would have been represented in that group. And the Pharisees were kind of like the extreme right side of the political spectrum of that day. They took everything literally. They believed in resurrection, they believed in angels and demons, they believed in the whole Old Testament and they were committed to following the rules because their identity and their value was not in what you could make in this life, but what you could earn for the next life. So they believed in following the traditions and keeping the rules and doing things the right way and staying in the lines. Both of these groups of people had built identities based on what they could accomplish for themselves in their own lives. And this is not part of the sermon. This is not part of where we're going today, but it's just worth noting that the gospel made both extremes mad. The gospel ruffled feathers in every perspective. Now, here's the tendency that we have When we come to a story like this, we see our people. We see the early church. We see Peter and John, leaders in the people that would ultimately become us. And we see good guys, and they've done something good. They've healed someone, someone who was 40 years old, someone who had lived enough life that he had not done anything that earned his healing. Someone who at this point in his life was probably past the age of even expecting healing. And he had been healed. It was just an act of kindness. But now the Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law are upset about it. And here's our reaction. We see heroes and we see villains. They are fighting against the goodness of the gospel. They are fighting against the work. How could they? I would never... I can't even imagine being angry that somebody got healed. We are the good guys. We're on the side of God. And there are these people working against our cause. What's wrong with them? We're doing good in the world. Heroes and villains. Now, what's interesting, what's compelling about this story, is what Peter does. Now, he gets put in jail. For healing someone. He spends the night in jail, and then he's brought to the court and given the chance to defend himself. And let me just tell you, if that was me, if I had healed someone by the power of the Holy Spirit and didn't feel like I did anything wrong, and then you gave me the chance to tell the court how I feel, I would basically give, like, braveheart's freedom speech with a lot more bad words probably and just like defend myself and validate everything that i did i i mean this is my chance to prove that i'm the hero in this story this is my chance to draw the line in the sand but what does peter do he preaches the gospel to the villain let me say that again he preaches the gospel says, the name that brought this healing was Jesus. And there is no other name by which you can be saved. Now that word saved is important in this story. It's important for us to understand what's going on. Because when we read saved, that's kind of a sanitized word for us. We all know people, we probably know people, if you're from the South, you know people who got saved a long time ago and are still saved and they, their lives really no, look nothing like Jesus. Saved doesn't rub us the wrong way. We, we're very comfortable saying, oh yeah, I got saved, I raised my hand, I went to the altar, I've been saved. But the Greek word there means a little bit more than just saved. That word is also translated healed. It can be translated something like made whole. It can be translated something like rescued. It's a lot different to hear the word I need to be saved than it is to acknowledge that I need to be rescued. Peter looks at the villains in the story And he says, there is one name in which you can be rescued. This is why everywhere the gospel goes, it's not the only reason. Persecution is more complex than just one simple, easy answer. But the reason why the gospel causes tension, one of the core reasons why the gospel causes tension everywhere it goes is because in a world that wants to find heroes, victims, and villains, the story of the gospel calls Jesus the only hero and every villain a victim. I'm gonna say that one more time. The gospel says Jesus is the only hero and every villain is also a victim. See, that upsets the dynamic. gospel is generously exclusive. Peter says it very clearly, there is one name by which you can be saved. There is only one name. He's clear. There is no debate here. Jesus is not an additive to life. Jesus is not ideas that we can fold into our existence to find something a little bit better. Jesus is not the icing on the cake that we are building for ourselves in life. Jesus is the whole meal Jesus is the only way. It is exclusive. But the question is who does the gospel exclude? And the answer is anyone not willing to admit they need rescue. Because the gospel calls Jesus the hero and every villain also. You can, you can see why this causes tension in the world around us, right? You can see why this upsets the power dynamic. Because Jesus, in his gentleness and his kindness, every time we look at our lives and we say, look what I built, Jesus whispers, no, you didn't. Because he's kind and he's gentle. Every time we look at our lives and we say, I can do it on my own. I don't need help. He says, yes, you do. Every time we look at our story and we say, I'm the hero, Jesus says, you're the victim. I'm the hero. I'm the rescuer. Jesus' exclusivity is his generosity because he robs us of anything that would entrap us. Jesus looks at those of us who think we have built a life for ourselves, and he says, the thing that you are bragging about is the thing that's enslaving you. He says, the thing that you've built for yourself is the trap that's holding you, and I can rescue you. The only people the gospel excludes are people unwilling to admit that they need to be rescued, that they need to be here is the problem for us who follow Jesus because in our modern world, we really, really like the idea of persecution. We talk about persecution a lot. In fact, persecution is very real. All over the world, there are people going to jail. There are people being killed. There are people being attacked because the gospel, the work of the gospel, upsets the power dynamic. The work of the gospel looks at everything around us and says, you haven't accomplished those things. Your righteousness isn't enough. You are invited to be rescued, and anyone who doesn't want to admit that they need rescue is threatened by that. The gospel causes tension everywhere it goes. But in our modern world, we really, really like to throw out truth in quips. We really, really like to argue on the Internet. And then when people get angry at us, we call it persecution. If you're mean to someone and they're mean back, that's not persecution. That's an argument. Christians don't get persecuted because they're mean and condescending. Getting put on blast on the internet is not persecution. The God who was crucified while forgiving his murderers would find that offensive. Christians are persecuted because of the radical, exclusive generosity of our lives that upsets the worlds and empires we are building for ourselves. The radical, exclusive generosity of our lives calls into question the foundational practices of the world around us. And that causes a riffle. That causes a problem. That's what leads to persecution. That's what leads to tension in our lives. What, the thing in our lives that causes tension is when we live so generously that it, that it threatens people who are keeping for themselves. When we live so kindly that it threatens people who are cutting off toxic people. When we live with such radical faith and generosity, when we include those who have been excluded so that those who are living based on the exclusion of others, we're undermining that authority. Do you see why the gospel causes tension? Do you see why the gospel causes—the gospel's goodness causes tension? The generous exclusivity of Jesus causes tension. Why? Because he calls himself the only hero and every victim and every villain a victim. Because he says there's no one too far, too much, too gone, too broken, too anything. As long as you admit that you need to be healed, you can be healed. So the Sadducees look at somebody who just got healed, and besides the fact they don't believe in resurrection, so if there's hope in the afterlife, then everything they've built their life on is now fragile. They look at this guy who just received healing, and they say, he didn't do anything to deserve it, and I did. He can't earn earn a blessing from the Lord, but now he's been given one, and it upsets the equilibrium. The goodness of Jesus is what causes tension in the world around us. And what that means for us is that there is no one too far, too much, too anything to receive the rescue of Jesus. It is radical and generous in its exclusivity. Every person that we can think of that we would call villain, Jesus says, yeah, extends the same forgiveness. So as we bring this to a conclusion, there are maybe three ways that this could be striking us this morning, that this idea of the exclusive generosity of Jesus that causes tension in the world around us. The first is that there might be some of us in this room who you know that you have been You've got people in your life and in your mind that you have been thinking of as villains. And let let me be very clear, because this this is a touchy subject. Someone, just because someone can receive the forgiveness of Christ does not mean they're a safe person for you to be around. It's still important for you to be healthy and maintain boundaries. This is first and foremost about our perspective, about the way we pray and think about those people. If there's someone in your life that you see as a villain, that you see as on the other side of the line, then this morning, I think what this text offers to you is that you needed the same rescue person who slept around a lot in college, greedy billionaire, perfect church kid, all need the same rescue. Jesus is the only hero. And when we understand that Jesus is the only hero, then we understand that we all need rescue. And if I could give you one thing to do this morning, it would be to start praying for those who persecute you. And not praying God's justice on them. Praying for God's forgiveness towards them. Praying for God's mercy and his healing to their hearts. Jesus calls every villain also a victim. Doesn't mean that we're not villains. It means that we've all got both of it in us. The second place that you might be this morning is you might be here and the question is that this text proposes to you is, is your life causing tension? And I don't mean do a bunch of people not like you. That's not not what I mean. But Jesus said, woe to you if everyone speaks well of you. Is the way that you live generously causing tension in a world that hoards and holds and protects? Is the way that you love fearlessly causing tension in a world built on self-defense? Is the way that you forgive causing tension to a world that cuts off toxic people? Is the way that you love threatening the way things work around you? Is the goodness and kindness and generosity of your life pointing to the exclusivity of Jesus? Once again, I'm not saying that everybody doesn't like you. I'm asking, does your life cause people to question? Does your life point to an exclusive savior and point to the reality that everyone needs rescued? And lastly, you might be here this morning. I do not know the stories or the hearts of anyone here. You might be here this morning. And when you came in, you thought of yourself as a villain. Some of us have spent our whole lives trying to pretend that's not true. But when we look in the mirror, we see what we've tried to get everyone else not to see. Some of us have, honestly, we've, we've just convinced ourselves there's nothing we can do about we're just a villain, so we've steered into it. We've given up trying anything else. Most of us are in the middle. But the gospel of Jesus says he's the only hero, and every villain is also a victim, and he offers rescue to anyone who would call upon his name. No one is too far there is no person who needs more rescue than i do there is no person who needs less rescue than you do we all need to be rescued and what i want to tell you this morning is that the rescue the hope the healing and wholeness of jesus is not just that you are saved from dangling over an eternal fire pot but it is that you are invited into transformation that you are invited into reconciliation to God, that you are invited into a different life. What I'm telling you is you do not have to live as a villain. Your life can be different. You can be called different by Jesus, and you can live different through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. There is hope for now and for eternity. And Jen and I worked for a missions organization, Um, We were working with a lot of young people and people called hippie travelers, which I do not have time to go into what that means this morning. But there was a subsidiary nonprofit of our organization called the Reshma Project. The Reshma Project works to fight against human trafficking, primarily in India. So they would go in and they would rescue and offer discipleship and job training to women who were coming out of human trafficking. But there was something that we learned very early on in doing this work that I couldn't stand. And it's that the people who would teach about it and talk about it would say, we're actually here to rescue the pimps and the johns and the traffickers just as much as we are the women who are being trafficked. I hated that. I really like the idea of when I get my horse and my six gun, just like riding in and cleaning up all the bad guys. (laughs) Like, I I looked at that situation and I said, how could they? How I would never... And then they went on and they said, well, you know, most of the, most of the traffickers were actually trafficked themselves, or they were abused, or they didn't feel like they had any other option, and that doesn't negate sin, sin is sin, that doesn't negate what happened, but what it means is that there is no person who needs more rescue, that we serve forgiving his murderers while they were murdering him. We serve a king whose radical and unending love is offered to everyone, And the thing that is hardest for those of us who generally live in the middle class to understand is that Jesus' love is extended to us just as much as it is to the people that we are convinced are too far gone and are too much and can't change. The people that we think are stuck and are evil. There's a reason why the gospel always takes root amongst people who have been victimized and villainized before it takes root among people who are comfortable. Because the gospel tells comfortable people to admit that they're a villain victim. And it tells villainized and victimized people that they can be rescued. That's why the gospel causes tension everywhere it goes. Everywhere it goes. There is no one, there is no one, there is no one who is excluded from the love of Christ if they will admit that they need rescue. There is one name, and that name offers rescue, hope, redemption, and reconciliation to.